0: Chapter 4 of A Voyage to Arcturus by David Lindsay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Voyage to Arcturus. Chapter 4 The Voice. It was by this time past three o'clock. Feeling hungry, for they had eaten nothing since early morning, Maskell went downstairs to forage, but without much hope of finding anything in the shape of food. In a safe in the kitchen he discovered a bag of moldy oatmeal, which was untouchable, a quantity of quite good tea in an airtight caddy, and an unopened can of ox-tongue. Best of all, in the dining-room cupboard he came across an uncorked bottle of first-class Scotch whisky. He had once made preparations for a scratch meal. A pump in the yard ran clear after a good deal of hard working at it, and he washed out and filled the antique kettle. For firewood, one of the kitchen chairs was broken up with a chopper. The light, dusty wood made a good blaze in the grate, the kettle was boiled, and cups were procured and washed. Ten minutes later, the friends were dining in the library. Nights ate and drank little, but Maskell sat down with good appetite. There being no milk, whiskey took the place of it. The nearly black tea was mixed with an equal quantity of the spirit. Of this concoction, Maskell drank cup after cup, and after the tongue had disappeared, he was still imbibing. night looked at him queerly. Do you intend to finish the bottle before Crag comes? Crag won't want any, and one must do something. I feel restless. Let us take a look at the country. The cup, which was on its way to Maskell's lips, remained poised in the air. Have you anything in view, Nightspore? Let us walk out to the Gap of Sorgi. What's that?" A show-place," answered Nightspore, biting his lip. Maskell finished off the cup, and rose to his feet. Walking is better than soaking at any time, and especially on a day like this. How far is it? Three or four miles each way. You probably mean something," said Maskell. For I'm beginning to regard you as a second crag. But if so, so much the better. I am growing nervous, and need incidents." They left the house by the door, which they left ajar, and immediately found themselves again on the moorland road that had brought them from Haler. This time they continued along it, past the tower. Maskell, as they went by, regarded the erection with puzzled interest. What is that tower, Nightspore?" We sail from the platform on the top. To-night? Throwing him a quick look, yes. Maskell smiled, but his eyes were grave. Then we are looking at the gateway of Arcturus, and Crag is now traveling north to unlock it. You no longer think it impossible, I fancy, mumbled Knightsbore. After a mile or two, the road parted from the sea-coast and swerved sharply inland across the hills. With Night as guide, they left it and took to the grass. A faint sheep-path marked the way along the cliff-edge for some distance, but at the end of another mile it vanished. The two men then had some rough walking up and down hillsides and across deep gullies. The sun disappeared behind the hills, and twilight imperceptibly came on. They soon reached a spot where further progress appeared impossible. The buttress of a mountain descended at a steep angle to the very edge of the cliff, forming an impassable slope of slippery grass. Maskell halted, stroked his beard, and wondered what the next step was to be. "'There's a little scrambling here,' said Nightsboer. "'We are both used to climbing, and there is not much in it. He indicated a narrow ledge, winding along the face of the precipice a few yards beneath where they were standing. It averaged from fifteen to thirty inches in width. Without waiting for Maskell's consent to the undertaking, he instantly swung himself down and started walking along this ledge at a rapid pace. Maskell, seeing that there was no help for it, followed him. The shelf did not extend for above a quarter of a mile but its passage was somewhat unnerving. There was a sheer drop to the sea, four hundred feet below. In a few places, they had to sidle along without placing one foot before another. The sound of the breakers came up to them in a low, threatening roar. Upon rounding a corner, the ledge broadened out into a fair-sized platform of rock, and came to a sudden end. A narrow inlet of the sea separated them from the continuation of the cliffs beyond. "'As we can't get any further,' said Maskell, "'I presume this is your gap of Sorgi?' "'Yes,' answered his friend, first dropping on his knees, and then lying at full length, face downward. He drew his head and shoulders over the edge, and began to stare straight down at the water. What is there interesting down there, Nightspor?" Receiving no reply, however, he followed his friend's example, and the next minute was looking for himself. Nothing was to be seen, the gloom had deepened, and the sea was nearly invisible. But while he was ineffectually gazing, he heard what sounded like the beating of a drum on the narrow strip of shore below. It was very faint, but quite distinct. The beats were in 4-4 time, with the third beat slightly accented. He now continued to hear the noise all the time he was lying there. The beats were in no way drowned by the far louder sound of the surf, but seemed, somehow, to belong to a different world. When they were on their feet again, he questioned Nightsbor. We came here solely to hear that. Nightspore cast one of his odd looks at him. "'It's called, locally, the Drum-Taps of Sorgi. You will not hear that name again, but perhaps you will hear the sound again.' "'And if I do, what will it imply?' demanded Maskell, in amazement. "'It bears its own message. Only try always to hear it more and more distinctly. Now it is growing dark, and we must get back.' Maskell pulled out his watch automatically and looked at the time. It was past six, but he was thinking of Night Spore's words and not of the time. Night had already fallen by the time they regained the tower. The black sky was glorious with liquid stars. Arcturus was a little way above the sea, directly opposite them in the east. As they were passing the base of the tower, Maskell observed with a sudden shock that the gate was open. He caught hold of Nightspore's arm violently. Look! Crag is back! Yes, we must make haste to the house. And why not the tower? He's probably in there, since the gate is open. I'm going up to look. Nightspoor grunted, but made no opposition. All was pitch black inside the gate. Maskell struck a match, and the flickering light disclosed the lower end of a circular flight of stone steps. "'Are you coming up?' he asked. "'No. I'll wait here.' Maskell immediately began the ascent. Hardly had he mounted half a dozen steps, however, before he was compelled to pause to gain breath. He seemed to be carrying upstairs not one Maskell, but three. As he proceeded, the sensation of crushing weight, so far from diminishing, grew worse and worse. It was nearly physically impossible to go on. His lungs could not take in enough oxygen, while his heart thumped like a ship's engine. Sweat coursed down his face. At the twentieth step he completed the first revolution of the tower, and came face to face with the first window, which was set in a high embrasure. Realizing that he could go no higher, he struck another match, and climbed into the embrasure, in order that he might at all events see something from the tower. The flame died, and he stared through the window at the stars. Then to his astonishment, he discovered that it was not a window at all, but a lens. The sky was not a wide expanse of space containing a multitude of stars, but a blurred darkness, focused only in one part, where two very bright stars, like small moons in size, appeared in close conjunction, and near them a more minute planetary object, as brilliant as Venus and with an observable disk. One of the sun shone with a glaring white light, the other was a weird and awful blue. Their light, though almost solar in intensity, did not illuminate the interior of the tower. Maskell knew at once that the system of spheres at which he was gazing was what is known to astronomy as the star Arcturus. He had seen the sight before, through Crag's glass. But then the scale had been smaller. The colors of the twin suns had not appeared in their naked reality. These colors seemed to him most marvelous, as if, in seeing them through Earth eyes, he was not seeing them correctly. But It was at torments that he stared the longest and the most earnestly. On that mysterious and terrible earth, countless millions of miles distant, it had been promised him that he would set foot, even though he might leave his bones there. The strange creatures that he was to behold and touch were already living at this very moment. A low, sighing whisper sounded in his ear, from not more than a yard away. Don't you understand, Maskell, that you are only an instrument, to be used and then broken? night is asleep now, but when he wakes, you must die. You will go, but he will return." Maskell hastily struck another match, with trembling fingers. No one was in sight, and all was quiet as the tomb. The voice did not sound again. After waiting a few minutes, he redescended to the foot of the tower. On gaining the open air, his sensation of weight was instantly removed, but he continued panting and palpitating, like a man who has lifted a far too heavy load. Nightsbore's dark form came forward. Was Crag there? If he was, I didn't see him. But I heard someone speak. Was it Crag? It was not Crag but a voice warned me against you." "'Yes, you will hear these voices, too,' said Nightspore, enigmatically." End of chapter 4